I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The Deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcasts. And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Hello and welcome back to Out of Office. I'm your host, Malika Kapoor. Our guest this week runs the largest contemporary circus in the world. Cirque du Soleil is just getting back on its feet after a brutal two years. Remember uh, March 13, which by the way was a Black Friday. All our touring show were shut down. And then I went home and I said to my wife, we're still alive because Vegas is there and Vegas is very important for us. And then March 14, uh, no more Vegas. Vegas was shut down. So within 48 hours, I had no revenue, no show. And I couldn't even meet with our employees because it was forbidden by then. So I had to announce on a Zoom to 5,000 people that we had to let them go. So that was the worst experience in my life. Cirque almost ceased to exist. Its then-CEO and now Executive Vice Chair, Daniel Lamar, describes this difficult period in his book, Balancing Acts. It's a great read. It's about the power of creativity. I'm, I'm very radical about that. I'm, I'm always saying that without creativity, there is no business. And I really believe that. Because if one day you're not pushing your creativity, you will wake up and you will discover that one of your competitor or someone else is taking away from your business. He also opened up about his childhood, growing up poor in Canada. I remember I was five years old. My brother was three years old. My mom gave me 50 cents. She said, go to the barber and tell him to do whatever he can do for 50 cents. And I didn't know what I was, <laughs> what I was doing, but the barber just laughed and obviously he did to me, you know, a, a good uh, a good haircut. But I didn't know at the time that we were poor and I didn't know what I was doing. It's only later that I realized that we were very poor, but I never felt that because there were always happy. And a serendipity that led him to join the circus. Here's my conversation. Daniel, welcome to Out of Office. Thank you. I wanted to begin by telling you how much I'm enjoying reading your book. So I'm very pleased because we worked so hard to finally arrive to this uh, latest version. And I love the name Balancing Act. I mean, it's the perfect name for what you want to talk about, uh, you know, uh, combining creativity with business. But it's a perfect name for a circus, for Cirque du Soleil. How did you come up with the name? Yeah, because for me, there is always this research of finding the right balance between the artistic content and the business side. And I thought that this expression, as you said, is a good reflection of Cirque, but it's also a good reflection of the job I had to do at Cirque, which is keeping this uh, appropriate balance between business and artistic content. You're a business leader. Did you enjoy the process of uh, reflecting back on your career and writing? 
Yeah, that, that's interesting because I'm always saying all along in my book that you should push the boundaries of, of, of your creativity, of your imagination. And that's exactly what I did in the book, because for me, that's my first book. I didn't know what kind of adventure I'm go, I was going to. And obviously going away from my comfort zone was, again, a great experience. Obviously, you did a lot of soul searching and uh, reflected quite a bit when you wrote this book, which talks about your uh, long and your very vast uh, career. When you were doing that, was there anything that surprised you yourself about your career? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, the accumulation of so many experiences I felt rewarded and spoiled to have had the opportunity to work with so many creative people during my entire life. And I said to myself, I think you're right. Uh, you have enough experience that you can certainly teach your learnings to uh, other readers. Now, the main message in the book is that creativity and business go hand in hand. You say you cannot have a successful business if you're not creative. Why is creativity so important? I'm, I'm very radical about that. I'm, I'm always saying that without creativity, there is no business. And I really believe that because if one day you're not pushing your creativity, you will wake up. And you will discover that one of your competitor or someone else is taking away from your business. So if you want to innovate, if you want to keep your leadership in whatever sector you are, you need really to be creative. So you can be creative as a CEO, as an executive vice chairman, as a leader. How do you ensure that there is a culture of creative thinking within your company? It's very important that you send a clear signal to your employees that you are in the lookout for new ideas and that you are open to their ideas. And, and to me, you know, a, a company like Cirque is not a one-man or a one-woman show. It's a collective. And, and, and for me, and that was also part of my learnings, is that you cannot have a show unless you have maybe 20 different creators working together. And I think that formula can apply to any sector of activity. You know, things are better now and Cirque is coming back. But you went through a really rough period when the pandemic uh, started. You actually called it a terrifying time and your revenues went from a billion dollars to nothing, to zero within a week. Can you tell us about how you felt when you realized that you had to shut the shows down? Yeah, that was horrible. I remember uh, March 13, which, by the way, was a Black Friday. All our touring show were shut down. And then I went home and I said to my wife, we're still alive because Vegas is there and Vegas is very important for us. And then March 14, uh, no more Vegas. Vegas was shut down. So within 48 hours, I had no revenue, no show. And I couldn't even meet with our employees because it was forbidden by then. So I had to announce on a Zoom to 5,000 people that we had to let them go. So that was the worst experience in my life. So how did you get through that? 
by convincing myself that we will survive. Uh, every day I was, you know, I was doing something in order to convince people to help us to regain our activities. And because the brand of Cirque globally is so strong, we've been able to find new investors that had invested $375 million that we needed to relaunch our activities. And that was really, really rewarding for us. It's the brand, right? So you got new creditors, you got new investors, and they gave you the money. They stood by you because of the brand. How do you build a brand that people trust? It has been built through creativity because this organization started by a bunch of street performers that were begging at the corner of the street. And then all of the sudden, by their creativity, they have created a new category of show. And that's how Cirque du Soleil has gained so much fans around the world. Creativity. Are you creative? Would you describe yourself first and foremost as a creative person? I think I'm a creative business person, but my job has always been to create the right condition to allow our creators and our artists to have the best condition to produce the best shows. And in that regard, I can consider myself as a business creator, but also someone that is supportive to amazing artistic creators. What is it about your background or your childhood, perhaps, that makes you value creativity so much? Obviously, you know, I, I've been in the television business, I've been in the PR business. Well, you know, those two areas were quite creative. But the real breakthrough for me and the eye-opener for me was really when I joined Cirque du Soleil. Because observing, you know, an amazing visionary as our founder, Guy La Liberté, and having the opportunity to work with the Beatles and uh, to work with James Cameron, in observing those people, it really opened up my own creativity, personally and professionally. The Beatles, what an incredible collaboration between Cirque du Soleil and the Beatles. And you talk about, in your book about uh, your business meeting with them, which was a very unusual business meeting, wasn't it? Tell us a little bit about that first business meeting with the Beatles. First of all, I've always been a big fan of the Beatles. So when I had the opportunity to walk in the same room then, then Paul and Ringo and George and Yoko and Olivia was there at the time. I was pinching myself. I couldn't believe that, that I had the opportunity to, you know, talk with them. And then developing a creative collaboration with them and creating an amazing show that has today become the record show of the Beatles, a tribute show that is still very, very successful. That was an amazing adventure for me. So definitely not one of your usual business meetings, right? <laughs> not at all, but so exciting <laughs> at the same time. And I went through a, a similar, uh, you know, collaboration with James Cameron, who, as you know, is probably the most famous movie director uh, in the world. And this guy was very, very humble, accepting to work with us to uh, do the uh, Avatar show, the live show that we did with his movie. And that was also really, really rewarding. 
Have you ever taken a risk that hasn't worked out? Yeah, and that's why, to me, it was important uh, in my book that I also talk about our failures. Uh, because it's yeah. very, very important that you learn from your failures. And I remember one day we thought maybe we were too smart, but we said to ourselves, we have reinvented circus art. Why don't we reinvent vaudeville? And uh, unfortunately, our fan, when they come to a show, they're expecting amazing acrobatic performance. And not having that in the vaudeville was a big disappointment for them. And we had no choice that within two months to just shut down that new possibility that we were trying artistically. When we've talked before, you've talked about your parents and the profound impact they've had on you personally. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, first of all, we were very, very poor. And when you're very young, you don't know. I remember I was five years old, my 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 brother was three years old. My mom gave me 50 cents. She said, go to the barber and tell him to do whatever he can do for 50 cents. And I didn't know what I was, <laughs> what I was doing, but the barber just laughed. And obviously he did to me, you know, a, a good, uh, a good haircut, but I didn't know at the time that we were poor and I didn't know what I was doing. It's only later that I realized that we were very poor, but I never felt that because they were always happy. They were always trying to do the best for us. And that was an amazing learning early on in my life. What did your parents do? Uh, you know, my, my, my dad was a blue collar and my mom was uh, working in a clothing boutique and they had very, you know, low salary. But through all those years, my dad start, uh, you know, studying at night at university and uh, he finished his life being a branch uh, uh, banker of a branch bank. And, uh, and, and for me, watching his own achievement was very, very inspiring for me. What is the one value that you think you've got from your parents that yeah, uh, is you're that proudest nothing of? is impossible. It doesn't matter if you start from a very poor neighborhood, uh, you know, if, if you push, if you work hard. And I think it's the value of trying and working very, very hard to achieve your goal. And uh, I was encouraged every day of my life by my parents to push, push harder, to go farther. And uh, that's why I had an amazing career. And that's why I'm so happy with my achievement. Now, as a little boy, uh, you know, you obviously didn't sit there thinking, you know, one day I'm going to lead Cirque du Soleil. You know, Cirque du Soleil didn't exist back then. So as a little boy, you know, what were your dreams? What were your ambitions? What did you hope to become when you grew up? Yeah, because we didn't have a, a lot of money, I have, to, I have to work. And very, very young, at 16 years old, I became a journalist. And uh, that's how I paid for my studies. And, uh, and, and I thought by then that I will become a famous journalist. And it never happened to me because after my study, uh, I moved to PR. And PR led me to understand better the business world. And then the rest is uh, history. For someone who wants to end up being as successful as you are, what's your advice to them? Is it 
to really plan various stages of, a, of your career and have it sort, sort of mapped out or go with the flow, see what happens next, because your career has taken a couple of turns, you know. So what's your advice to them? Uh, I might be boring, but I would say do both. You have to you have to plan because if you don't have plan, if you don't have objectives, you don't move forward. But down the line, you have to seize new opportunities that has nothing to do with your plan. And, and that's how you move forward. With your plan, you move forward towards an objective you have. And then all of the sudden, opportunities are going to come that you never know that will happen to you, like me receiving a phone call from the founder of Cirque du Soleil. And then you have to be open enough to seize those opportunity and change your plan. So tell us about that phone call from the founder of Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was the CEO of a TV network. He called me out of the blue. He was in London. I was in Montreal. And he said, I had an amazing flash last night. And I said, what is it? He said, you're going to join the circus. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I said, whoa, 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 cool down, cool down. And he says, no, no, I want to meet with you. I want to talk about it. And three weeks later, I joined the circus. <laughs> Tell me about the early days. I mean, you oversee Cirque growing phenomenally. It's had astounding success under you. Tell us just about your first month on the job. What did you learn? How challenging was it? That was very, very tough because I told Guy I'm a quick learner. I will, you know, get to the job very quickly. And he laughed at me. And he was right because Cirque has no point of reference, no benchmark, because the business model is unique. The business you're in is unique. So, and you have to build your own network internationally. So it took me much more time than I thought to be in control. And that was a very humbling time because moving from being a CEO in control of a TV network to go and work for a visionary and have no control, uh, I had to be patient and uh, accept to learn. You had to be humble as well, I guess. <laughs> Very much so. And, uh, and, and, and that was important because otherwise, if I was not have been able to open my mind to a new world, to an international organization, it would have been impossible for me to lead that, that organization for so long. And now Cirque is global. It's got thousands of employees around the world. It travels the world. You say, yes, we are a large company. But in your book, you say, we don't act like a large company. What does that mean? Yeah, what it means is uh, I'm, I'm, I'm against hierarchy at, at any cost and various layer of management. So that's why when we build a new show, there is about 20 creators working on it. And then we, uh, we, we broaden the cast to about 150 employees. And I would say to all our administrative functions, leave them alone. I want them to breed and eat and sleep about the content of the new show. I want them in a bubble and that the only way that they can create without having interference from any bureaucracy around them. And that's how. Uh, I'm, I'm applying this philosophy in a lot of different areas to make sure that people are focusing 
to what they have to deliver and not spend time on politic issues or bureaucracy. So you literally take away all the administrative, I was going to say nonsense, I guess nonsense, all the administrative nonsense from their lives. And while they're working on creating a show, these, what, 20 or so people live, breathe the content of the show and work together pretty much in isolation amongst themselves? That's correct. And that's the key, because therefore, I'm sure that they they are not defocused for what they have to deliver. And also, this collective of 20 people nurture their own creativity and come back with amazing idea. And that's what I love about our organization, is that the creativity remains at the forefront of who we are. How does that work in practical terms, though? Yeah, obviously, we don't lock them in a room forever. We, <laughs> <laughs> we have checkpoint with them. So we have a process where about once a month, we will meet with them and see what kind of progress they're making. Because it's very, very important in a creative process that people don't get lost. And therefore, when you give them a mandate, a very specific creative mandate, you have to be able to have checkpoint where you see that they are aiming at that mandate. And that's the way we keep uh, each other informed. And if there are some you know, things that we don't like, we have the opportunity to say so before it's too late. So you have this group of people who brainstorm and who ideate and come up with ideas. What's the next step then after that? Yeah, after they came with a concept that we like, then we will add to the team. So we will do the casting, we will bring the artist, then we will start the uh, rehearsals in our creative studio in Montreal. We have a huge creative studio in Montreal where we can rears an entire show and 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 then we would move from 20 people to about 150 people so it's a big cast and crew and and therefore there again you have to have checkpoint to make sure that the artists are executing the creation within the guideline that we had agreed with our creators once a show is on the road and once a show is happening, do you ever sneak in quietly and sit with the audience to watch a show? <laughs> yes, we do all the time. And that's the rewarding part. I love to do that. I love to go and attend the show. More importantly, I love to go backstage, eat with the cast and crew, hug them after a successful show. Uh, This relationship is all based on trust, on sensitivity. And it's important for the artist to know that I do care about what they do. And it's more than caring, it's loving what they do. And they feel that. And to me, that's very, very important. I couldn't be in that job being a traditional business person. It wouldn't work. You also say in your book that emotion can be a powerful force in driving a business forward. What does that mean? Yeah, it's it's important. You know, sometimes you have a feeling and you have an emotion 
uh, an emotional attach to a project. And because you're so dedicated to that project is that you will never give up. You will be resilient. You will push forwards until you have achieved that project. And the Beatles is a good idea of that. I've been working for two years before we, you know, got a deal with them. But to me, I was so emotionally attached to this project. And I knew that it will bring the brand of Cirque du Soleil to the next level, that there was no way that Guy and I will give up. We were just pushing to make it happen. Daniel, what if it didn't happen? You were so emotionally invested in this idea, but, you know, there was a chance it may not have worked out. Yeah, while you're going through the process, you shouldn't think that way. You should just, like, move yeah. forward. <laughs> but let's say at the end of the day, if it would not happen, as it, you know, sometime happened in the past, then you just have to move on. You just have to forget about it and move on to the next best idea that is going to motivate you. And then you have to mobilize your team behind that idea to increase the chances to make it happen. Do you think the pandemic has made people realize the importance of thinking outside the box, of thinking creatively and innovatively? Because we've all had to adapt and businesses have had to adapt. I mean, the way you and I are speaking, you know, this is uh, a way of us adapting to the new way of uh, living life. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, the Zoom technology and Teams technology uh, is there to stay because there is a huge advantage of that, uh, meaning you don't have to travel that much and you have the opportunity to be in touch with your people. In our case, not having live show for 15 months, then we have created a network called Cirque Connect, where we uh, present every week some content to our fans. And that was a way to keep our brand alive. So I think, you know, then again, if we will inquire, we'll probably do a list of a thousand creative idea that came out of, of this crisis, you know, people now ordering more and more on internet, you know, getting their grocery coming uh, on internet, a lot of different uh, innovations like that. And we are becoming more creative because we have no choice. You know, for a company like mine and for many sort of people who go to office to work, we're all talking about the future of work and how the future of work has perhaps changed forever. We're talking about hybrid working. How has the pandemic changed Cirque, if at all? When Cirque goes back to having live shows now, is something going to be different? Uh, yes. Uh, first of all, uh, the reaction of the public right now is overwhelmed because we can tell that the people were missing human performance. But mm -hmm. we have also learned through Cirque Connect that we can reach out to people between shows. Because if I go in your city, I present one show and I don't come back before a year or two years, then I lose contact with you. In the future, I will not because I will stay in touch with our fans by, you know, through, through our network, through internet, through social media. We weren't uh, that dedicated to those uh, new platforms. Today we are. And, and to that regard, it's a big change uh, in the way we do business, not only in providing artistic content, but also in doing our marketing. 
Daniel, this podcast is called Out of Office. What's your favorite thing to do when you're not in the office? Yeah, I, I love to work out uh, because it's, it's a way for me not only to physically feel good, but more importantly, mentally feel good. So when I'm on the treadmill normally, I like to go on the treadmill when I have an issue to resolve. And most of the time I will find the solution by just working out and just forgetting about uh, the day to day. I also love uh, to go see movie, to go to see shows. That's that's what I like to do. Do you work out every day? Do you go for a run every single day? Uh, almost, yes, when I can, because I need it. Well, I hope you continue to have time to do that in your day. And thank you so much for joining me on Out of Office. Uh, thank you so much. That was a pleasure to talk with you. That was Cirque du Soleil's Daniel Lamar. Thank you for joining us. This episode was produced by Laura Carlson and Momoy Ikeda Helminska. I'm Malika Kapoor. I'd love to hear from you. My handle is at thisismalika on Twitter. Send me a message. See you again in two weeks. And as always, thank you for listening.